As we continue our series on ministering healing and deliverance, we address the question, does God send sickness and disease? In this message, we also learn about the biblical basis for ministering healing and deliverance. All right, why don't we stand up and make our declaration together this morning. So if you brought your Bible, uh, if you could stand up and hold it together with me. We're going to make our declaration together this morning. Let's say this out loud, bold and strong together. This is God's Word. This is God speaking to me. I am who God says I am. I can do what God says I can do. I will become everything God has promised. I'm saved, healed, delivered, redeemed. I'm blessed, victorious, prosperous, triumphant. I'm a minister of God, a servant of Christ, and a channel of His blessing to many people. I receive His word. I believe His word. And I live by His word. Christ is my master and to him I am in absolute surrender in Jesus name amen we're continuing this morning talking about the subject of ministering healing and deliverance uh, we're going to be on the subject for some time till probably the end of uh, September and uh, it's, we are intentionally taking time to uh, study this so that we can equip all of us as believers uh, to minister healing and deliverance. And we're just dev- building on this little by little, slowly. Um, hopefully, you'll have the book out next Sunday. And uh, there's a lot of detail in the book that you'll get. But on Sunday mornings, as I mentioned earlier, uh, we're just covering uh, or uh, just doing a quick overview of uh, various parts of the book. This morning we want to talk about God's word for healing. This is really chapter 2 from the book. And uh, I want to address, begin by addressing some important things. Or rather one very important thing which is to deal with the source of sickness, disease and ailments. What is the source? Where does all this come from? And it's very important for us to be very clear about this. And not to be double-minded. And not to be, you know, unsure. Because when we are ministering healing and deliverance to other people, we need to do it out of a sense of absolute assurance. Knowing what we're doing and confidence in what we're doing. And so we want to talk about that, the source of sickness, disease, and ailments. And I will do a quick overview of certain things, and then we will get into uh, the basis for ministering healing and deliverance a little later. You know, when God created this world, He created the world in a perfect state. Everything was perfect. Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2. There was no sickness in the world. Do you all agree with me? You need to go check it out. Genesis 1 and 2. There was no sickness. There was no disease. Nobody was, you know, uh, in disease either in body or mind. That was not God's intent. He created everything perfect. That was His original design. 
And the Bible says he saw everything and that it was good. What we do know is that after the fall, that is after Adam and Eve disobeyed God, is when sickness and disease and all these other evil things that we know of, we fight with, came into this world. Is that right? Sin came in because of one man. The Bible says in Romans 5.12, For by one man sin came into this world, and death by sin, and death passed upon all, because all have sinned. So, God's design was a world that was free from sickness, disease, all of these ailments. It was not there. If God had seen some good in sickness and disease, He would have put it right there in Genesis 1 and 2, made sure it was inside the world. But He did it. And so, when we talk about the source of sickness, disease, and ailments, uh, we must understand this, uh, uh, where it actually comes from. And I've, I've broken it down into these three simple things for us to understand. Number one, we must understand that sickness and disease comes because of man's disobedience. Because of the fall. It was not part of God's design for us. But it comes because of the fall. Man's disobedient. And Romans chapter 8, verses 19 to 23, if you want, you could turn there. Bears this out for us. Romans 8, 19 to 23, it says, For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. So all of creation is eagerly looking forward to something. It's looking forward for the emerging or the unfold, unveiling of the sons of God. Verse 20. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. So creation, all of creation was subjected to a process of corruption, decay, and deviation from God's original design. But, this was not done willingly. This was not God's original intent. Yet he let it go because of what he knew the end would be. In anticipation of the hope. What was said before that one day all this will be redeemed. But for now it's been let go into corruption. Verse 21. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. So there's a time coming when creation will be delivered from the bondage of corruption. But right now, creation is in the bondage of corruption. Everything around us, since the time of the fall, has been in a continuous state of decay. It's going from bad to worse. It's deviating from God's original design. So that's why we have so many wrong things happening. Physically, people... Ah, uh, you know, there, there are birth defects, innocent little babies are affected. And we wonder, like, how could all this be? Well, here's one reason. Because from the time of Adam's fall, all of creation was subject to corruption. The bondage of corruption. That means everything around us is in a state of decay. They're going away from God's original design. But yet, it says here in verse 21... It is looking for the glorious liberty of the children of God. One day even creation is going to be liberated from this bondage. Verse 22. 
For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. So all of creation is struggling under this whole bondage and corruption. Verse 23, not only that, but we also have the first fruits of the Spirit. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. But there's a time coming when our bodies will be redeemed. Our, our bodies, of which are mortal, will put on immortality. And all of creation will be redeemed. Like the Bible says, there will be new heavens and a new earth. Amen? So right now, everything around us is in a process of decay. It's all because of the fall. And so that's one cause. Why are things like this? This is one reason. Everything around us is in a state of decay. It's in a state of corruption. It's going away from God's original design. Second reason why there is sickness and disease is that the Bible makes it so clear, and we will see more of this in the, in, in the coming weeks, is because of direct uh, demonic activity. There is Satan's activity that's, that, in, that causes sickness and disease. Uh, there are demonic spirits that afflict bodies. Uh, the Bible talks about spirits of infirmity that affect bodies. And so sicknesses are caused directly because of demonic involvement. In Acts 10 verse 38, uh, just one example, Acts 10 verse 38, uh, the Bible talks about Jesus. It says, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil. He didn't say he went and healed all who were blessed by God. He went and healed all who were oppressed of the devil. Are you with me so far? So whom did Jesus heal? Those who were oppressed of the devil. So here sickness and disease is being presented to us as an oppression of the devil. And there are diseases of the body and the mind that are as a direct result of demonic activity. And we must understand that. We will explore that and and talk about how to deal with that. But that's a second cause, a second source of sickness and disease because of direct demonic activity. And the third is there are natural causes. So we eat too much of biryani. There's going to be some effect. And things like that. So there are natural causes. We don't take care of our bodies, uh, do certain things. You know, people who abuse their bodies with alcohol or drugs. Yeah, there are going to be those effects. And we can't blame that on the process of decay. We can't blame that on the devil. We just have to address the fact that you need to be responsible of what you're doing with your body. So there are natural causes. But, Given that there are these three possibilities of why sickness and disease and ailments can come and affect body and minds, there's one thing you and I must be absolutely clear. In answer to the question, does God send sickness and disease? The answer that we must be able to give confidently is no. God is not the author of sickness and disease. Look at creation, the very beginning, Genesis 1 and 2. If he wanted it there, he would have put it right there. We need that clarity in our spirit. That my God is not the author of sickness and disease. I cannot blame God for it. It's one of these three causes, or a combination of these three. But I cannot blame God for any sickness, any disease. He is not responsible. 
He didn't create it. But how do we address the difficult passages in the Bible? And in the book, over and over again, we'll be addressing many questions and we will do that as we go along. What about the difficult passages in the Bible? You know, how do we explain that? Because there are places in the Bible where it seems like God says, I will strike them down with this, or I will do this, and I will do that. And so how do you explain all of that? How do you explain the fact that God struck Saul blind for three days? Or, you know, so many other things. How do you explain all that? If we begin with the premise of the understanding that God is not the author of sickness and disease. How do we explain all of these difficult passages in the Bible? And in the book we identify many of that. Or how do you explain some of these seemingly contradictory things in the Bible? For example, we can affirm very confidently that God's will, God's word, and God's ways or God's deeds will always be in harmony with his nature. That means whatever God says, whatever God does, and whatever God wills will always be aligned to who he is. Do you agree with me? You know, God, God, God can't say, this is my nature, but excuse me, I'm behaving like that. I'm doing something contrary to who I really am. Never does that. Whatever he says, whatever he does, God's word, God's deeds, and God's will will always be in harmony, will always be consistent to his nature, who God is. As far as sickness and disease is concerned, God said, I am Jehovah Rapha. I am the Lord who heals you. That's who he revealed himself to be. That's who I am. That's my nature. I'm your healer. Therefore, everything he says, everything he does, and everything he wills will be inconsistent, will be consistent to who he is. Jehovah Rapha. But how do we explain? handle all these difficult passages. And there are other difficult passages. For example, the Bible says, God is light and there is no darkness in him. But then you also find this in Psalm 18, that the Bible says, God is in the midst of the thick darkness. God, I can't figure that out. The Bible says, God is truth and he cannot lie. But then there are a couple of places in the Bible where it says, and lying spirits came from God. You read them? The Bible says, God is not the author of confusion, but of peace. But then there are places in the Bible where God says, I will cause confusion among them. Wait a minute, God. You said you are the God of peace, not the author of confusion. And yet something else is happening. So God says, I am Jehovah Rapha, I'm the Lord your healer. If he's a healer, then everything he says, does, and wills will be in alignment with that. But sometimes you find these passages where it seems like God says, you know, God, God says, I will strike them with this, I'll do that. How do you explain? Have you been thinking of these things? So, I want to present these three guidelines, these important, uh, uh, I would say, fundamental facts or truths by which we interpret difficult passages in scripture. The first is this. That who God is, is perfectly revealed to us in the person of Jesus Christ. Who God is, 
is perfectly, accurately, completely revealed to us in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the Word who became flesh. So any theology that contradicts the Word, the theology is wrong, not Jesus. Jesus is the embodiment of the will, the Word, and the ways of God. He's the embodiment of that. He's the embodiment of the very nature of God. So He is the gold standard. He is, as Bill Johnson says, perfect theology. If you know Jesus, you've got it right. Amen? Now, let's think about this. To how many people did Jesus say, God has, you know, they come to him for healing and he responds like this, God has given you the sickness to teach you some deep spiritual lesson. And after you've learned the lesson, the sickness will go. How many people did Jesus tell them? How many? Ten? Five? Come on. How many? But you have preachers saying that. You have preachers preaching that. And somebody is wrong. Either the preacher or Jesus. I think the preacher is wrong. I'll stick with Jesus. He's perfect theology. To how many people did Jesus say? It is not the will of God for you to be healed. How many people? None. But we have preachers preaching that. And I think the preacher is wrong. And Jesus is right. Because Jesus is the word who became flesh. Amen? Are you in agreement? So... Every difficult passage in the Bible has to be interpreted against Jesus. And if you don't understand difficult passages in the Bible, but if you understand Jesus, that's all that matters. Because you've understood the absolute. So don't worry. You're right in understanding who Jesus is. He is the word who became flesh. Amen? All the obscure passages of the Bible, the difficult to explain passages of the Bible, should be interpreted in the light of what is very clear. And Jesus is very clear. There is nothing ambiguous about anything he said, anything he did, or anything he willed. Amen? The second important uh, a couple of things here to keep in mind is that we must understand that God has for a time permitted the consequences of sin and the works of Satan to continue on the earth. So when we interpret some of these other things that are happening on the earth, earth sickness, disease, this and that, and uh, we must keep in mind that God has permitted these things to continue, but we cannot hold him responsible. And it will be wrong for us to hold him responsible. A simple example would be, let's say, uh, many of us have done this. You have, uh, uh, let's say you rented or leased a home from a landlord. 
So you sign a contract with the landlord saying for the next one year, two years, three years, whatever, that facility is yours, that home is yours. From the time you sign the agreement, what happens inside the home is whose responsibility? The landlords or the tenants? You don't sound very clear, you don't sound very sure. Whose responsibility is it? The landlords or the tenants? Try it again. Whose responsibility is it? The landlords or the tenants? The tenants. So, if the tenant allows all kinds of cockroaches and rats and cobwebs inside the house, do you blame the landlord? Blame the tenant. The Bible says in Psalm 115, verse 16, The heavens belong to the Lord, but the earth He has given to the children of men. Who are the tenants here? We're the tenants. He's the landlord, but he's given it to us. So who's responsible for the mess? God or us? Who? You know, if the tenant says, oh, thieves are coming in, stealing things. The landlord's, I need to talk to the landlord, I need to blame him. The landlord's going to say, hey, I give you a door, I give you a lock and a key. Use it. Can't blame the landlord for what's happening. Now, if the tenant wants to get some things done inside the house, he can request the landlord. Please come. I need a couple of things fixed. We call that prayer. And sometimes, in some real serious cases, the landlord would step in. We call that redemption. The Son of God came into this world to die on the cross for us and make a way for us to deal with all the cockroaches and all the things that may want to come in. He's made a way. But the ultimate responsibility right now is in our hands. And it is wrong for us to blame the landlord for anything that goes wrong down here. If you agree, say amen. The third thing we need to keep in mind as we try to interpret all of these things here is that we need to keep in mind that many suffer simply as a result of their own sinful or careless actions. So if somebody does something wrong and they face the consequences of it, we can't blame God and say, God did it to him. God wanted to teach him that lesson. You know, uh, we probably talk about this a little later, but how, haven't you heard some people, they could end up in the hospital and that's the only time they read all the APC, free APC publications? And they grow spiritually very fast in five days because they have read 20 books in five days. And then they come out and say, the Lord made me sick, Pastor, so that I could read your books. I feel like telling them, you could have read them anytime and you're in good health. You didn't have to go to the hospital and read it. But thank God you did read it there, but you could have read it when you were in good health and learned all of that without having to go to the hospital. I'm just making this. Nobody's told me that. But generally, people talk like that. But the point is, we can't blame God for things that we bring upon ourselves. And my thing is, look, you could read books. You can grow spiritually when you're in perfect health. You don't have to become sick to grow spiritually. Be in good health. Read the book. Pray. Grow strong. Do it. Number four, last thing here is, 
in the exercise of divine judgment, God engages things. One of two things happen. That either people walk out of God's providence over their lives, walk out of God's protection over their lives, and then unnecessarily expose them, or they become vulnerable to uh, the wrong things, demonic attacks on their lives. Or secondly, in, during, in, the, in the exercise of divine judgment, what we do find is God does engage the elements of this world, but it is only in the case of divine judgments. God never wakes up every morning and does that to you. Only in the case of divine judgment. He will engage elements of this world to, to you know, get people's attention. So, why did God strike Paul blind on the way to Damascus? Divine judgment, intervention. But he kept him there only for three days that way. Or why did he make uh, Zacharias dumb till John was born? Because Zechariah didn't believe as a high priest. He didn't believe in conversation. Okay, Zacharias, I'm, using, uh, I'm engaging something in this world in that moment, in that season of great glory, that season of great visitation. In seasons of great visitation, there is great glory, but there is low tolerance for sin. So why did Ananias and Sapphira fall dead when they lied to the pastor? Some pastors would wish it to happen. I'm just joking, right? I said, some past, not your past. Why? I mean, what happened? Well, at that time, the church was in a season of great glory. And where there is great glory, there is also great grace. But there is low tolerance for sin. So we have to be careful when we pray, saying, God, we want more of your glory. Because if you want more of his glory, he's going to give more of his glory. But he's going to give more of his grace to empower us to... Live at that level. But remember, in seasons of great glory, there is low tolerance for sin. What was okay in other seasons is not okay when God is moving in a powerful way. There's low tolerance for these things because God is visiting His people in a very special way. So that's why you have those things happen. But not everybody else fell dead in other churches in the, church, in the early church. That particular time, there was great glory. I with me. So, we must interpret some of these difficult passages in the Bible. I, I, we went through all this for one reason. To bring us to a place of absolute conviction. That any sickness, any disease, any ailment, God wants to heal. That's it. And we operate from that perspective. God's the healer. So now we want to move into the next part of this uh, study here. As we talk about the basis for ministering healing and deliverance. On what basis can you and I minister healing and deliverance to people? I want to touch on two things. We'll close here after that. And we'll continue this next Sunday. And hopefully next Sunday you'll have the book so you can follow along with me. The basis... For ministering healing and deliverance. On what, on what basis can we approach any individual and tell them that God wants to heal you. God wants to set you free. God wants you well. On what basis? Here are several things. We'll talk about two. The first one is the nature of God. And we've been emphasizing that all along. That this is who God is. And therefore his will, his word, 
and his works or his deeds will always be in alignment to who he is. So as far as healing is concerned, you already know the will of God because you know the nature of God. So you don't have to pray, is it the will of God to heal this person? You know God's will because you know his nature. That's his will. He wants every person well. That's why on that basis, we can talk to any person who's hurting, suffering, sick, in the body or mind, and say, God wants you well. Amen? And the same thing for you personally. When you are sick, hurting, you don't have to pray and say, God, is it your will to heal me? No, you know it. Who is he? Jehovah Rapha. His will, his word, his works are always in alignment to his nature. It's his will to make you well. So you can be confident about that. The second basis for ministering healing and deliverance is the cross of Jesus Christ. On the cross, Jesus took our sins so that we could be forgiven. He took the sins of the whole world. And that's why you and I can talk to any person and say, if you believe in Jesus, your sins will be forgiven. How could you say that? Because on the cross, he took the sins of the whole. Now, do you ever pray about this? Somebody comes and says, hey, I want to have my sins forgiven. Will you tell them, I'll pray about it and find God's will and come back and tell you. You don't do that. If somebody comes and says, I want to have my sins forgiven. Immediately say, yes, you believe in Jesus and the blood of Jesus Christ, God's son will cleanse you from every sin. Why can they say that? Because of the cross. That on the cross, he took all sins of every person. And so the free gift of forgiveness is offered to every person. All they have to do is to believe. Now on that same cross, the Bible makes it so clear that he took our sicknesses and our diseases. Isaiah 53 verses 4 and 5. Isaiah prophesying 760 years before ahead of Christ. He says, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. The word griefs there is the Hebrew word choli, which simply means sickness. The word sorrows is the Hebrew word makob, which means pains. So the rendering of that verse would be, surely he has borne our sicknesses and carried our pains. Or if you don't want to go back to the Hebrew, you just go to Matthew. In Matthew chapter 8 and verse 17. Matthew writing by the Holy Spirit. He quotes Isaiah 53 verse 4 and he writes like this. Himself took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. So Matthew explains Isaiah 53 4. That he's talking about bearing our sickness and our disease. And that's why the conclusion is by his wounds we are. So apply the same logic. If we can tell any sinner that God wants, that he can be forgiven because Jesus bore his sins. Same thing applies. We can tell any sick person, God wants to heal you because Jesus took your sicknesses and diseases. And by his wounds, you're healed. Amen? Now the cross, there's a lot more to it. It's the place where Jesus shed his blood. The blood gives us authority. It's, it's, our, 
It's a proclamation of our freedom. The blood is our redemption price. The price that was paid for our redemption. Hebrews 9 and verse 12 says that Jesus entered into the most holy place with his own blood. So when you and I talk about the power of the blood, we're saying this is, this is the price that was paid for my redemption. It's the basis of my freedom from everything about the fall. It's the blood. That's why the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 6, 19, 20, it says that you've been bought with a price. Glorify God in your spirit and in your body which belong to God. My whole being, spirit, soul, and body has been bought. It belongs to God and I have to glorify Him uh, in my spirit, soul, and body. It's through the cross that we've come into a covenant with God. The cross and the blood is the basis of our covenant with God. When God makes a covenant with man, essentially what God is saying is, I am giving all of me to you in exchange for all of you given to me. That's his covenant. All who I am, I give to you. And all I ask is, all that you are, you give to me. That's God's covenant. So when God established a covenant with Abraham in Genesis the 15th chapter, God tells Abraham, he establishes a blood covenant. He tells, take an animal, kill it, and I will pass through it. And he establishes a blood covenant with Abraham. He doesn't tell Abraham all the details of the covenant. He simply says, I'm in covenant with you. I will bless you. What I want us to understand is that as part of every covenant... God gives all of who he is to the one he enters into covenant with. And that includes him being the healer. Healing and deliverance is part of the covenant that he gives to us. It's your covenant privilege. Hundreds of years later after Abraham, in the 13th chapter of Luke, the Lord Jesus is preaching in a Sunday service at APC. At a temple. He sees a woman who was bent over. That means she had a back problem for 18 years. What does he do? He says, woman, you're loose from your infirmity. You're set free from it. People get upset. He says, look, it's not part of the order of service. Here's how Jesus responds. He says, ought not this woman, who is a daughter of Abraham, be loosed from this bond? Whom Satan has bound for these 18 years. What was he saying? She has a covenant. Daughter of Abraham. She's a descendant of Abraham. She's an inheritor of this covenant that God made with Abraham. On the basis of that covenant, she has a right to be free from this thing that Satan has bound her with for 18 years. You and I have a covenant with God. The blood of Jesus Christ and the cross of Jesus. It's a much greater covenant than any of the Old Old Testament covenants. I want us to understand that healing is part of the covenant that we have with God. It's a blessing that comes through that covenant. It's your privilege because you're in a covenant with God through believing in Jesus Christ and the cross. It's your privilege to have healing and deliverance. Amen. You know, in our earthly times, 
If you have health insurance, you go to the hospital, what do you do? You claim. Everybody say claim. You've got to claim. No insurance agency will come to you and say, oh, we heard you were in the hospital. Do you want us to cover your bills? You have to claim. It's part of your pack. It's part of that. It's a poor example, but hopefully it'll help us understand. That you are in a covenant with God. And part of that is healing and deliverance. You have a right to claim it. Think about another situation, and I close with this. Matthew the 15th chapter, verses 28 to 31. Here was a Syrophoenician woman, a Canaanite woman. That means she was not Jew. Her daughter was troubled by devils. Grievously tormented. That means she was in a really bad state. She comes to Jesus and for healing for her daughter because she's heard all the miracles of, that Jesus has been doing in Galilee and for the Jewish people. And so she comes and uh, presents her need. And Jesus responds first by saying, I am not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. That means right now, I'm only ministering to the people of Israel. She doesn't leave. He keeps pestering. So then Jesus makes the next statement. He says, I can't take the children's bread and give it to the dogs. Now, it sounds very rough for us, but she understood that in, in their language, he was referring to the Gentiles. Those who are not in covenant with God. But what I want you to see is this. Now, people who are in a covenant are referred to as children. Acts 3.25, the Bible talks about, uh, it, uh, it actually talks about those of you who are children of the promise, of the prophets and children of the covenant. So, those who are in covenant with God are referred to as children, children of the covenant. The house of Israel was referred to as children, children of the covenant. So Jesus, using that same terminology, he says, how can I take the children's bread? This is staple diet for those who are in covenant with God. This is offered every day, 24-7. It's on the table. The children's bread. Those are in covenant with God. How can I take children's bread and give it to the dogs? So healing. And deliverance is the children's bread. Those who are in covenant with God. This is your bread. Your provision as part of the covenant. It's our provision. It's part of the covenant. Healing and deliverance. So when Jesus said, I know I can't take the children's bread... What's provided for the people who are in covenant. I can't take that and give it to those who are outside the covenant. You know what this woman responds? She says, but Lord, the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the masters. In other words, you keep the bread. Just give me a crumb. Just give me a crumb. And Jesus said, woman, you've got great faith. Be it done to you as you will. And her daughter was demon-possessed, was troubled by demons, was set free. Just one crown. What I want to impress on your heart and mind is as people in covenant, we've got access to the breads. Maybe the whole loaf. Maybe many loaves. But it's on the table. Amen.
It's the children's bread. It's our covenant privilege made possible through the cross of Jesus Christ. Amen. This woman came in faith. We've got to do the same thing. Come in faith. You make your claim or you receive your privilege by faith. This morning we've emphasized two things. One is the understanding that God is not the author of sickness and disease. There are other causes or reasons. It's the fall, there's demonic activity, there's unnatural causes. But we can't blame God. The second thing we began to emphasize here is that we have a solid basis to receive or to minister healing and deliverance. The nature of God, who our God is, and the cross of Jesus Christ. The covenant that we have brings many blessings. All who God is is available to us in the covenant. Part of that covenant is healing. It's our provision. It's our privilege. It's the children's bread. This morning, wherever you are, would you take a moment to pray and say, God, I receive what's mine. I receive what's mine. If you are sick in your body, or your mind in any way troubled, I want you to lay hands on your. I want you to lay hand on yourself and, and just pray and say, God, I receive what's mine. Doesn't matter what the condition is. This is between you and God. God is in a covenant with you because you believe in the cross of Jesus. You believe in Jesus Christ and what He did on the cross. And so, would you just pray, receive, like this woman who came to Jesus and. She would not take no for an answer. She could have got discouraged and gone home that day and said, you know, they didn't give me permission to meet Jesus or Jesus said it's only for the people of Israel. I mean, she could have made any of those excuses. But she pressed through. How much more easily, readily can you and I have access to this? As we worship, as we pray, I want you to engage with God, just between you and God. And say, Lord, I receive what's mine. Healing is a children's bread. I receive what's mine. Father, even now, as we just take these few moments before we close, oh God, even as we take this moment in your presence, just to receive what your word says is ours. I ask that your healing anointing, your healing virtue will cover this place. Come Holy Spirit, just move upon this place and everybody that's sick, hurting, in pain, in any way, bring healing, oh God, bring relief. That a healing word of low, making each one whole, for we receive what is ours this morning. We thank you. I just want you to receive. Say, Lord, I receive what's mine. Let healing flow through my body. Put your hand on that part of your body you want God to heal and just engage with God this morning. He's the healer, so don't look at the preacher. Don't look at anybody else. He's your healer. He'll do it for you. As you come to Him, 
saying, God, this is my covenant. I receive what's mine. I receive what's mine. There is Jesus, that healing flow. Be received, Lord, by faith. Be received your healing now. It's the children's breath. We thank you, Lord God. We thank you. We receive it, O God. We thank you. Come on, healing in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, command healing. Thank you, God. Now, if you can check 
the healing. I want to encourage you to check it. Just test it out. Check. See what God is doing. Just thank the Lord for it. You see improvement. You see change. Just thank the Lord for it. Check it out. Check it out. Father, we just thank you. Your work of healing. God, even as we press in, as we press in to know more, learn more, and understand more, I pray you'll make each one of us instruments of your healing to those around us, God. I pray you'll raise up a church full of people who know how to minister healing and deliverance. I pray that each one of us, young and old, Regardless of our age, wherever we go, we will see the power of God flowing through us. We will see signs, wonders, miracles accompanying us, Lord, in our schools, in our colleges, in our places of work. And that wherever we go, we will destroy the works of darkness. And at once the kingdom of God. Raise each one of us up to be such kind of men and women, Father, we pray. Use us, O God. To do the Father's works all across our city, wherever we go. And we thank you in advance that we will be such a people affecting our city and our nation for your glory, for your honor. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Let's close. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you. And the Lord be gracious to you. And lift up his countenance on you. And give you his peace. In Jesus name. Amen. Amen. God bless you all. Thank you for being here this morning. Remember next Sunday we are back in our usual location. St. Joseph's. Thank you for making the effort to be here uh, for the change in venue. God bless you. Have a good Sunday. We trust that this message was a blessing to you. We'd love to hear from you. You can email us at contact at apcwo.org. Also, visit our website www.apcwo.org for additional resources. Thank you for listening and God bless you.